Hey everyone, I'm Nicole Ashley Fletcher. You can call me Nikki and welcome to the first chapter. I'm going to do a little introduction on our learning posture going forward. And then we're going to go through biblical tree images, what science tells us about the capacity of life God's given us. And then we're going to look at the cultivation practice of grafting in a little bit of detail. So take notes or soak it in. I use the musical breaks I've put in here as deep breathers, uh, bathroom breaks, or just permission to pause and come back another day. One of the things I've been so grateful for has been the messages over the last week, uh, not just of encouragement and thanks, but to get a glimpse of what God has been doing uh, in people's lives. I'm just so struck, you know, in Isaiah 55, when it talks about that word of God being like rain that hits the earth, not returning void, um, but, you know, accomplishing the purpose for which he sent it. Uh, I just really believe, you know, if we all show up and just do our part, obediently saying yes to God. God, you know, we'll get these glimpses of how he's been working and is working and it's just blowing my mind. So I just wanted to share one with you. I'll try to share one uh, every other week. One listener said, honestly, listening to this has brought me out of a dark place that I've been in. I, it was reminding me of my own journey as a young person in foster and kin care. I don't know, just listening to it pulled me out of it. It's very powerful. So thank you, listener. And honestly, I'd love to hear your thoughts, any questions, disagreements, <laughs> stirring of your own heart, bits of your own belonging story. So send me a message on Instagram at Nick Fletch or in the contact section of NicoleAshleyFletcher.com. It would be a privilege uh, to hear any little bits of what God's doing in your life these days. Okay, let's get our hands dirty in the garden today. Many of us see adoption simply as a way some choose to grow their family here on earth. But God sees adoption as our divine heritage. How every person who claims Jesus as Savior and Lord becomes a member of the bloodline of heaven itself and becomes grafted into his family tree. So while this is the oldest story of all time, it's becoming new all over again for us. May it become so for you, too. I'm Nicole Ashley Fletcher. Welcome to A Grafting Story, a retelling of God's adopted family and a new telling of ours. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Psalm 1, 1-3. The world of science, the environmental world, and the world of the Bible, it should really instill in us two important qualities, wonder and curiosity. Uh, about 50% of the Bible is narrative storytelling, which science tells us is a primary way that our human brains can take seemingly unrelated and often confusing elements and order them to reveal meaning. 
So just think about the way that Jesus chose to teach. Stories, pictures, metaphors, narrative. We call these parables. And it connects with us in a way that few other mediums do. And it also frustrates us in ways that few other mediums do. Even the disciples were constantly confused at what Jesus was trying to say. (laughs) But it doesn't seem to bother Jesus, at least enough to change his strategy. Pictures, images, and metaphors in particular, they shape our way of thinking. So when Psalm 1 says that we are like trees, that offers us a new way, a new paradigm or model for thinking of ourselves. And scripture is full of these, all different kinds of them, because no metaphor, no image can fully represent or reveal the fullness of God. So when God says that he is the gardener or a shepherd or a prince of peace, or we are adopted or grafted or branches, you know, our job as Bible readers, treasure hunters, and deep divers is to uncover the meaning of a name, an image, and perhaps a metaphor meant to shape us not just in our thinking, but our living. My academic experiences in literature and education, but the thing that excites me to my very core is the process of becoming learners. It's learning to learn. <laughs> so when we learn how to pay attention to biblical metaphors and narratives, we discover that there's mystery hidden in them on purpose. I think it's so fascinating. You know, the ancient Hebrew scriptures, they have purposeful ambiguity and mystery in them to drive us towards curiosity and searching. I'm by no means an expert anything, not environmentalist or biblical scholar, but I assure you that I am a curious learner. And the ancient Jewish texts call us to be the same, to pull threads and cast nets and collect pearls, and to get comfortable living in some of those ambiguous places between revealed and mystery, to position yourself not as a vessel to be filled with knowledge, but like Psalm 1 says, as a living tree planted by streams of water to grow up in wisdom and maturity, to be transformed, planted, rooted, maybe uprooted, grafted and pruned over and over to bear fruit over time. As I study the word and as God reveals more of who he is, it only leads me to more questions. And in our collective body, each person, each perspective and way of seeing and knowing and understanding, it paints a more full picture of God. So who you are and what gets you excited is important. I feel like somebody needs to hear that today. Who you are, your personality, your likes and dislikes, like all of who you are is important. It's on purpose. For example, you know, do you like mathematical patterns, uh, musical rhythms, history, sociology, human behavior, uh, characters, language, uh, you know, poetry, I don't know, whatever sparks your spirit. Your curiosity can drive you to pull the threads of the biblical narrative. And I promise you, God will leave you amazed. Well, for me, the spark has always been trees. They have this powerful symbolic meaning. 
If you're at all acquainted with ancient stories and cultural symbolism, the tree always shows up physically, spiritually, socially. I mean, it's inescapably connected to us. But there's more than that. Because like everything in nature, nothing stands alone. The environment of ecosystems and interdependence and diversity and beauty It's designed in a way that one thing points to another thing. The more you try to untangle the web of life, the more connected you realize we truly are. This natural world is the closest thing we have to a picture of the infinite measure and scope of God that we will never get a grasp on, at least this side of heaven. A recent biomarine scientist just shared, I love this, how he can't fathom that humanity will ever discover the depths of the ocean regardless how many centuries we have on earth. Because the more we seem to find, the more we realize there is. Doesn't that sound like God? Romans 8, 33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. And to him be the glory forever. Amen. Author and archaeologist Max Adams in his book, The Wisdom of Trees, which is a great book, by the way, if you're looking for, uh, I don't know, different summer readings, it's a good one. He says that he studied this topic and he called the book by its name, The Wisdom of Trees, not because trees are wise, but because we are wise to learn from them. And this is a concept I think borrowed from Jesus. So what we're talking about is not just theology, the study of the nature of God, but it's horticultural theology, the study of the nature of God through the master gardener's own nature metaphor. And as an aside and a disclaimer for all conversations going forward, metaphors and pictures are not mathematical equations, okay? Like one does not equal the other in its entirety. That is a dangerous road to take. We have to treat them with complexity and care. Adoption, fostering, and belonging as we look at it through the lens of biblical theology can't be narrow and certainly not neatly packaged because we have to remember that stories of real, beautiful people, families, they're full of pain, loss, and trauma. I don't believe it was God's perfect plan to have children separated from their biological families. And we certainly cannot label precious biological families as some kind of villain and adopted families as some kind of hero in like a Christian blockbuster movie. (laughs) The ideas we're going to talk through, they're meant to help us to see things differently, clearly, I believe which ironically sometimes means having our vision more clouded, our minds more full of questions, at least at first. I'm certain that I'll be wrong about some things, that a year from now, maybe I'll change my mind on other things, that I'll have to apologize for unknowingly hurting or dishonoring someone. And maybe you will too, but if we all keep showing up 
and listening and learning, surrendering to God and having courage to come back to the soil day in and day out to pull up weeds and tend to fragile new sprouts, we'll be better off, I hope, than when we started. Because I do believe that God's vision of a family is revolutionary. It's grace that can somehow be big enough to include pain and hope, both confusion and wisdom, trauma and healing, and all the middles that we don't know where to place just yet. So let's just start somewhere. And in order to get a more full glimpse at a grafting metaphor in the ancient Hebrew world, we first have to get a foundational understanding of our relationship scientifically and biblically to living, growing, cultivated plant life, trees in particular. So now with our hearts and our minds postured to learn how to learn, to be full of grace, let's explore living tree images and metaphors in the Bible and see what environmental science has to teach us as well. Trees are the most frequently mentioned living thing in the Bible next to God and human beings. Let me say that again. Trees are the most frequently mentioned living thing in the Bible next to God and human beings. There's repetition with variation. There's a constant human and tree interdependence. If you really want to dive into this, if you want to hear a, a biblical scholar really go into this human and tree biblical metaphor, uh, you should look into a, um, a podcast called The Bible Project. And there's about a five or six episode um you know, look at that exact metaphor. Humans are like trees and it's wild and helpful. I won't go into that kind of detail right now, but I'll give you a little bit of a preface as we go. So tree in Hebrew, it's not just the kind of tree that we would imagine uh, walking out in a forest. It can mean tree or bush uh, or wood or vine. It refers a lot more to the substance than its shape or its purpose. So all the way from Genesis, we have the creation of trees. Then in the garden, we see at the center, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Trees are on top of high places where God makes covenant. Isaac carries it on his back when he's being led up the mountain. It's what delivers the burnt sacrifice. 
It's where God appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. It's what threatens to take our worship in the form of idols. Jeremiah and the prophets described the Messiah as a branch or a shoot that comes from a tree that was cut off. There's the root of David. It's what Psalm 1 describes as our goal as human beings. In the Proverbs, people who trust and love God are like trees of life, bearing fruit and multiplying life wherever we go. And then I love that later in Galatians 5, we know that by Jesus and his spirit alone, that we can bear fruit. There are nods all over the scriptures. Jesus portrays himself as a vine and the kingdom of God is a mustard seed that grows into a mighty tree. Our salvation comes from the cross, the tree of Calvary. And the tree in the new kingdom, the tree of life, is God himself. From an environmental science perspective, trees provide the air that we breathe. You might have learned that. It's in grade one curriculum. (laughs) Trees provide the air that we breathe. They're also the centerfold of all living ecosystems. Underground and above ground, they are home, provider, and protector. They provide order and rhythm to the ecosystem. One example, we wouldn't have rivers and streams if it wasn't for trees because their roots hold onto the banks so that the rivers can flow. Um, you know, up until about two decades ago, uh, scientists thought that roots were uh, the widest way that trees could communicate and even help and feed one another. Uh, but just recently, um, of course, adorably named the Wood Wide Web, <laughs> scientists have discovered this intricate fungus actually that spans so wide, wider than they could have ever imagined, uh, that doesn't just allow from tree to tree to communicate and to feed and to help, but from forest to forest. Each individual tree has different characteristics. Some deal better with drought than with cold. Others have powerful defenses against insects, and yet others are perhaps particularly impervious to wet feet or wet roots. If climate conditions change, the first individual trees to die will be those who have the hardest time dealing with the new status quo. But one thing remains true, that you know, individual trees, while they are important, it's when trees unite to create a fully functioning forest that you see generation to generational impact. A word that is maybe new to some um, that's important for our learning together is fecundity. It sounds a little bit like a swear word, so sorry about that. But fecundity, the ability to produce an abundance of new growth. Fecundity, the ability to produce an abundance of new growth. So why does this matter? Well, it's in the DNA of our existence. It's in the, it's in the makeup of our creation. You know, we're, we're not separate from the created 
order of things. We might be the crown of it, but we are created nonetheless. And in Genesis 1, in that creation story, you know, trees on day three are created, trees that bear fruit with seed in them. And day six, humans are created with that same capacity to bear fruit with seed in them. Because, you know, God is self-generating, like he's not, uh, he doesn't need any external intervention. He is, and he is, and he is. And his purposeful, intentional strategy for what he creates is to be fruitful and to multiply. So this eternal life picture within both the tree and the human is dependent on one thing, and that's its seed. And the word seed uh, is zera, and it doesn't just mean seed like in a plant, but it also means descendant. Hmm. It's a fragile thing, a seed, so small that it can slip through your fingers, and yet so resilient that even when it's trampled on or disregarded, it still has power in it to push the ground, to lift its head towards the sun and become something greater, stronger, and more magnificent than anyone could have dreamed. It's a fragile mystery, that tiny seed, and it's our only hope. That seed that was promised to Eve after the fall, that seed would grow up that seed would become our savior. An interesting fact, when I uh, was pregnant and really like so amazed and learning all that I could about what was going on in my womb as uh, this tiny person was being formed and then I found out that I was having a girl. And I remember... uh, you know, the doctor telling me that a woman as she's being formed actually is formed in the womb with all of the eggs that she will ever have already inside of her. Just follow me, follow me for a second. And so in that very moment, just think about that as time stopped, I was literally, quite literally carrying the DNA of seeds of a future generation that I might never meet. This is the capacity of a seed planting God. And that's the thing he created the earth, trees and humans with capacity, with fecundity. My daughter, uh, she asked me when we read the creation story, why God decided to make trees first and then people. And I, you know, proudly answered because, you know, we had a long-term structure to adhere to. The trees provide the oxygen, so they had to come first for humans to breathe. But then I discovered that I was wrong um, because Genesis 1 doesn't exactly say that. So let's turn to it. Genesis 1, 11 to 12 actually says, God said, let the earth sprout tender vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit according to their kind whose seed is in them upon the earth. And it was so. Then the earth sprouted 
and abundantly produce that vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them according to their kind. And God saw that it was good and he affirmed it and he sustained it. And then fast forward to Genesis 2, 5 to 7, we kind of wrap back around to that creation story and it gets flushed out a little bit. And it says, right before Adam and Eve were created, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So there's time that passes between these events. There's this glorious mystery. And scripture tells us that the vegetation that God made, he actually planted It was the earth that sprouted and abundantly produced the vegetation, that same ground that he hardwired fecundity into, and he directed it and sustained it and affirmed it. Actually, we learn in Colossians 1 that it was Jesus who did that. For by him, by Jesus, it says, all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, everything created and exists through him and for him. And he himself existed and is before all things. And in him, all things are held together. He is, I love this, he is the controlling, cohesive force of the universe. Now, let's for a second get even deeper still into the ground, okay? Because David Montgomery and Anne Bickle, these two uh, microbiologists in their book called The Hidden Half of Nature, if you really want to geek out on microbiology, it's a great book. Um, They suggest uh, going out into the forest. Maybe you can do this one day in like a prayer walk or something. Say, If you go out into the forest and you grab a handful of that forest soil, that there are more life forms, more microbes in that one handful of forest soil than there are people on the planet. It kind of sends my mind buzzing when I think about the intersection of science and poetry of us being made from the dust, the dirt of the ground. (laughs) This ground that already had so much fecundity, so much capacity. (laughs) Maybe we were indeed the first trees to spring up from the ground, affirmed and sustained by the very hand of God.
When I first started really praying about our future children years ago, God gave me a vision. Now, if that language like freaks you out or something, (laughs) let me put it more plainly. A very specific picture entered my mind that had nothing to do with what I was thinking about at the time, which made me pay very close attention. It's like watching a TV or something and, you know, program interrupted. I don't know if that was the best example (laughs) I could think of. Um, But it was a picture of an iron tree, clear as day, forged by fire, but strangely alive and breathing. And the word grafted was above it, as though it was inviting me into a new mystery. I knew I had heard that word in the Bible before, but I was not prepared for what I found when I started to research it. Paul introduces this concept in Romans eleven twenty four. He's talking to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the people who were traditionally on the outside, uh, an inaccessible group to the glory of God and kind of addressing their egos a little bit and saying, you know, be careful. <laughs> uh, they're talking about the Jewish people, those who had been cut off of the tree of eternal life in Jesus because of their unbelief and saying, you know, be careful because these were natural branches and they can be easily grafted in, which is the hope they can be grafted back in to the tree from which they came. So Romans eleven twenty four says, for you were cut, you the Gentiles, you the non-Jews were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. So how much more will these, the natural branches, the Jewish people be grafted back into their own olive tree? Now, the olive tree symbolizes peace. I mean, extending an olive branch even now is an iconic symbol of peace. And I love that in Colossians 1, 20, you know, Jesus reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven by making peace peace through his blood shed on a cross. Olive trees were known in the Mediterranean world as almost indestructible. Some might say like iron, unless you uprooted them entirely or burned them to the ground, they would last generation to generation, resilient and fierce. And in Jewish culture, even today, the olive tree is symbolic of eternal life. And so the gardeners of the time, they would take branches from the cultivated, the established, uh, you know, rooted, healthy tree and attach or graft them to the wild tree to use its energy to produce more fruit. But what Paul's suggesting is something contrary to nature, something that doesn't make sense to the agricultural practices of the time. But Paul does this on purpose to remind us that it's extraordinary grace that gives us access to the tree of eternal life. And it's not anything that makes sense to the natural order of things. Today, though, uh, grafting is a horticultural practice that gardeners use all over the world to ensure that what's given to them to steward is fruitful and multiplies. So the gardener might ask, what's the best practice for fruitfulness and multiplication in the life of a tree? And sometimes grafting is the answer. It can shorten the time it takes for fruit to grow, sometimes by many years. 
it can make the tree disease resistant. In the wood wide web of environmental survival, it's diversity, not uniformity that saves. Let me say that again. In the wood wide web of environmental survival, diversity, not uniformity saves. So the more alike trees are, the more susceptible they are to disease. The more diverse their cell structure, the more likely they are to to survive and to thrive, not just as individual trees, but as an entire forest. And this is my favorite part. You know, the whole point of grafting is that each part of the grafted tree keeps its original character. What a miracle. I mean, so the variety used for the rootstock that cultivated established part, it might be resistant to fungus or other pests, but it has a small olive yield. And this grafted branch might come from a tree that has weak roots, but a huge fruit bearing capacity. And so the resulting tree has the best of both varieties. Nothing is lost and both gain. This is a mystery and a miracle. So what happens in grafting? There's lots of different strategies. I am not a gardener, but I know uh, just a little bit about cleft grafting. And so I'll talk about that. So the rootstock, which is what that established uh, cultivated tree is called, the rootstock is cut open. And then a branch of another tree is inserted into that wound. And the gardener wraps the new fragile union and waits. After about three months on average, that bandage is removed and the branch continues to grow totally fused onto the rootstock if done well and with care. And as that tree continues to grow, it becomes impossible to tell which branches were grafted and which grew from the root. This is not a gardening process of companion planting, you know, growing side by side so that everybody uh, benefits. This is a joining, risky, painful, total body transformation. Isaiah 11 says that there will be a shoot that will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people and all nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This shoot from the stump of Jesse is our savior Jesus. He is the very seed that God promised to Eve in Genesis 3.15 that would spring up from the ground to crush the head of our ancient enemy. He is the indestructible olive tree of eternal life and the peace that he himself bought by his blood. He is the rootstock, the body that gets pierced and opened for us to be grafted into. He is the vine and we are the branches. Jesus 
says in John 15, I am the true vine. And my father, he's the gardener. And while he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And so neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But the beauty of the picture of grafting in particular is its symbiotic nature. You know, there's a mutually beneficial relationship here. And this is, you know, where the metaphor breaks down in one sense, because we can't offer God anything that he doesn't already have, but he still wants us. And his love is meant to grow and encompass and reach further than we are comfortable. But in the makeup of the family of God with Jesus at the center, we are all better because of one another. We need each other. And that doesn't just include the good stuff. Can I say that? It includes being willing to attach ourselves and enter into and give space for each other's grief, humanity, history, and identity. But if God, a universe away from us, untouchable, unreachable, a bush on holy fire, a tree of eternal life would willingly joyfully even attach our bodies to his own while also delighting in our own uniqueness individuality personality giving us new possibility new roots and home and life surely we can imagine a world a church a family where his body still connected by the ancient root systems under the ground can belong to each other across countries and ethnicities, across races and biology, even across the table. Maybe with our God alive inside of us, we have a hope of growing into our identity as that olive tree, resilient and beautiful, bearing both scars and glory, sorrow and love, growing up together as one magnificent whole. Thanks for listening in today. I hope you learned something new and felt encouraged along the way. If you are interested in hearing more, subscribe and leave a review so the content and message of this story can be found by other curious listeners. I'd also love to connect with you about any questions to share resources or to hear your grafting story. So send me a message. You can do that online. I'm on Instagram at Nick Fletch or NicoleAshleyFletcher.com. But more than any of that, Please share this personally with anyone you know who might need to hear it. I'll be praying for you as you do. I hope to be with you again very soon. And until then, bye for now.